Welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this is going to serve as our off-season preview episode of the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, what an off-season we hope it's going to be, fellas. Because for those that haven't listened to the podcast in the past, the off-season we do go a little bit dark. Like, we try to have an episode here or there, but if nothing's really going on, there's really no reason to have an episode. And I'm not sure how active the Orioles are going to be this winter. So we'll see what happens. You do know how active. Yeah. You know exactly how active they're going to be. <laughs> I mean, don't wanna, we could be yeah. pulling off, pulling an emergency pod for a Trey Mancini extension. Would that be emergency That's pod true. worthy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be pod worthy. I would say, yeah. Okay. So there you go, folks. That's what you can be kind of looking out for. If Trey Mancini signs an, an extension with the Orioles, you will get a warehouse podcast episode. Uh, how, about, how about we set a threshold? In terms of like monetary value yeah. of a transaction, which mm. triggers an emergency pod. Oh wow! Okay. And like, 30, given who the Ori- given who the Orioles are, it might be like if we spend twelve dollars, emergency mm. pod. Yeah. Right. If they if there's news of a new concession stand at Camden Yards, <laughs> yeah. emergency pod. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The threshold uh, could be quite low. I don't know, but yeah, I mean. You know, yeah. you know it when you feel it. When you hear the news, you know that's emergency pod worthy. That's the only thing I can say. Okay. Right. I think that's a good point. Yeah. You Big guys, trade. You, you guys just can't commit. <laughs> Look, man, the off season is. Uh, that's when we get our our R and R a little bit here. All right. <laughs> Massage the vocal cords a little bit, right? Exactly. Exactly. We build back up all of that like confidence that we lose throughout the summer as an Oriole fan. That's, <laughs> that's what the winter is for. The unfound confidence. Exactly. Just to yeah. have it ripped away next season again, right? Yep. One game at a time. In May. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is going to serve as our offseason preview. Uh, you know, sort of a, a disclaimer here at the beginning. We do know that CBA negotiations are ongoing at the moment. And as it stands, the league year ends, I think, December 1st, or maybe like maybe the league year ends at the end of the World Series. I'm not totally sure, but I do know the CBA expires on December 1st. And then starting December 2nd, like if there's no deal, then the offseason just is essentially on hold. Um, So everything we say here that if we say any dates or whatever, they're kind of all in accordance with things going smoothly, which they very may well not. And that's almost the expectation is they will not go smoothly. Um, also if any rules get changed through the CBA negotiations, obviously we're not privy to any of that information. Like we don't have the inside scoop there as we record this, it's, it's late October. The playoffs are like in, you know, ongoing, the world series is coming up. No news is going to break during this time period anyway. So kind of keep that, you know, in mind, if you hear this, you know, after December or later in November, things like that. So with that in mind. Let's get into talking about some off-season stuff happening or potentially happening with the Baltimore Orioles. And I think we kind of want to take like a 10,000-foot view for a moment and just sort of talk about like what sort of actions do we think the Orioles are going to take this off-season? And I think the first one is going to be trades because we know free agency, you know, that can always be kind of a difficult conversation for Orioles fans, Orioles front office. So maybe like Let's start off with trades. Do we think the Orioles are going to be heavily involved in the trade market this offseason? Jesse, maybe I'll, I'll go to you first. 
No, I mean, you. <laughs> I mean, I, I could have said yes if you hadn't included heavily. Okay. But, oh, my what, God. What, okay. Sorry. Okay. But, okay. No, I mean, to what extent? I, to what extent? Right. Uh, to the extent that the Orioles are involved, I think they are going to be trading to be dealing away. Sellers. I think the Orioles. Yeah, they'll be sellers. Right. Um, I think there could be an Adam Plucko type of situation where the Orioles go acquire somebody to this caliber. Um, but uh, it'll probably be for cash considerations or something like that. So otherwise, okay. the Orioles are going to be sellers. Um, we'll talk about the trading block coming up. Okay. But I could see like one. I could see one pretty sizable trade happening this offseason. Okay. I could see that. Good little, uh, like, uh, what's that? A tease for later in the episode. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Eli, are you seeing things kind of similar, at least from like a buyer's perspective for the Orioles? Like the only way they'll be buying is on like a very low risk, like bullpen guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's really no reason if you're, you know, Michael Elias in the front office, there's no reason to like hedge bets on any one pro any one prospect. And so at this point, like you just want to maintain everything that you have, all the talent you have in your system. And yeah, you're, you're not going to be like dealing away prospects to go acquire some, you know, big name MLB current player. Uh, so I definitely expect it to be quiet. Like you guys said, we might be sellers. I think, like probably on a pretty small scale. Like I do not think that a Mullins is going to go. I do not think a means is going to go anything like that, but yeah, some small scale trades to sell off some moderate chips. I can see that. Yeah. I think that sounds right. Um, you know, something that's going to start to get interesting for the Orioles, maybe not this off season, but potentially like during next season is going to be like, they're going to have a glut of minor leaguers that are going to be like rule five eligible at a certain point. And it gets to a point where, there's enough interesting names, but not enough spot on the 40 man roster to fit them all. And from that point, you've got to kind of start to deal those sorts of players. The Yankees do this a lot where they deal like semi-interesting guys that are about to be rule five eligible. They can't fit and they get some like some, some interesting reliever or whatever. I don't think the Orioles are quite to that point yet where um, they have enough interesting players and not enough 40 man roster spots. So we're not quite there yet. Maybe something to look at. Um, during the 2022 season. But yeah, I mean, the Orioles, it just doesn't make sense for them to package up any sort of like interesting prospects at this moment and try to go get some veteran pitcher or even a veteran whatever, because they're just not, they're not at that point where they're a player or two away. They're like six players away. Um, so yeah, I think that totally makes sense. The free agent market could be a little bit different. Um, Eli, do you see the Orioles being like pretty active in the free agent market? And, and you know, maybe to what extent are they going for the big bucks or is it more some uh, stopgap uh, moves there? Yeah, I don't think there are any deals coming out of the Orioles front office that hit, uh, I was going to say double digit, but it's like double digit millions. So it's like eight digits, I think. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Nobody gets $10 million from the Orioles front office. Wow, okay, okay. That being said, I think we're more active than we were last year. Like I expect something better than... You know, like contingent deals for Wade LeBronc and yeah, Harvey and Felix Hernandez. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was reading, um, uh, Rock Kubako had something that basically talked about how active the Orioles are going to be. And he said essentially, like, the only big money that's going to get spent this offseason by the Orioles is, a, is potentially a Trey Mancini extension. So 
Um, Rock tends to kind of know what's going on there. So if that's what he's saying, I think uh, that sounds about uh, to jive with what what you're getting at there. Um, Jesse, are you of a similar mind? Yeah, I am. I don't believe even that's going to happen. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I, I think that, yeah, I agree that nothing over 10 million. And I mean, I'd be impressed if it was anything over five even. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, that that sounds totally on brand with what the Orioles have done the last few years. I'm (laughs) I'm I'm thinking this may be the last year that that is like the the thought process though, going into the off season. I'm hopeful that like 2022 is going to be the year we start to see some of like the, the product of building up these draft capital and getting these interesting young players. And maybe we start to seem interesting. And then in 2022, they start to uh, support that with some, some financial investment. Um, All right. So the Orioles, I think I kind of just sort of hinted at my thoughts here on this next question we have, which is, how much should the Orioles be focusing on the short term and the long term? Uh, and we kind of piggyback this to what extent will the Orioles be able to effectively address both in this off season? I definitely think the Orioles, uh, you know, as far as like making moves in the off season, they're going to be focused more on the, the short term, which is like filling gaps. Um, and that's kind of separate from like the organizational organizational philosophy of like, you know, accruing interesting talent and all that, because I think the Orioles, uh, you know, movable players that you could trade for interesting prospects are pretty limited at the moment. Um, so I'm not sure how much they can do via trade to sort of further bolster their future prospects. Um, Jesse, you kind of seem to half agree with what I was saying there. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think uh, every offseason is going to be focused mainly on um, yeah, on the short term and just filling out the rotation predominantly um but yeah i mean i think ideally uh you know if the orioles found that the best time to move one of their uh players with a lot of value or relatively a lot of value on this team uh was the right time uh those players when they move them they're of course thinking about long term uh uh, return for those players, not short term. So, uh, but barring uh, a trade or the Orioles trading uh, one of their key talents, um, yeah, that's that's not going to happen, and it's going to be focused on the short term. Okay, cool. Eli, are you? Uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. But I, I just want to clarify, like Jess, you don't think we're going to trade one of those key talents, do you? Correct. No. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I um, could just theor- I, I mean, it's hard for me to see it, but I could see it happening. Yeah. But I don't think it will. And okay. it's not consistent with what uh, the Orioles and Elias have seemed to have done in, in the past recently. So, okay. Yeah. I, I'm fully in agreement. I think that, um, I think that really the only things that happen this year are, you know, there's some 40 man turnover that we're going to talk about in order to bring in some slightly new faces onto the 40 man roster and get rid of some of the old. And I think that beyond that, like we might lose some familiar faces uh, due to some non tenders, but I do not think that there's really going to be like any major overhaul in the outlook of the Orioles next year. They're just going to bring in more stop gaps and just kind of plug holes as they can and as cheaply as they can. 
Well, man, that is getting my juices flowing for the hot stove. (laughs) (laughs) Plugging gaps, just surviving. That's that's what we love about off-season baseball. It's what we do. It's what we do in Baltimore. Survive. That's true. We're a blue-collar town, sort of. (laughs) Even when the Orioles were, like, winning, like, under Buck Showalter and stuff, I mean, we still kind of – we did go get you Baldo, but we did a lot of this patchwork band-aid uh kind of roster moves and stuff like that so it's it's been with us for a while i mean the chris davis deal was not it was our guy already but that was the big that was the big money the the difficult thing is you know people always talk about the orioles don't like to spend on free agent pitching and well the last two times we did it were ubaldo and alex cobb right you know two like 50 60 million dollar deals that were just outright terrible just terrible yeah we have to do it well i mean that's the other right right and yeah i do trust that elias will be better than dan duquette but i do not like i don't know we have a bad track record is what i'm saying well yeah and shopping for pitching like in that like section of free agency is always dicey like yeah when you go really high end you're typically getting a really good pitcher so he's gonna be really good and then when you go really cheap it's like low risk and it could work out it's the middle part where you're given like 12 million dollars a year out it's like mm, i don't know i don't know right um all right well, let's talk about front office priorities uh i i think we're probably all gonna have the same answer here but what is the orioles most urgent need this off season uh eli you're rubbing your head i think we know <laughs> what what is your answer to that question i just have to think so hard um <laughs> I think maybe the starting rotation. Oh, I think. I think that's reasonable. That's all I got. (laughs) Get us some pitchers (laughs) who can throw 100 innings. (laughs) That would be nice. That would be really nice and can get out major league hitters. Um, Right. Weird. Similar similar thought there. At least some of them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything, nothing – Nothing is even comparable. Like the other Oriole needs are not even comparable to the Orioles figuring this rotation out. They're not. No, I mean, it's totally fair. The The pitching was a complete disaster this year. And I mean, it was John Means, Matt Harvey, and then that was really it. Bruce Zimmerman pitched at the beginning of the year and the very, very end. Um, they need more arms. So, yeah, starting pitching. It's a it's a clean sweep there. Um Long term, though, I mean, is that kind of the same thing? Do you think we need to, you know, if we're going to sign somebody to a multi-year deal, theoretically, do you think a pitcher is like that's the person to go for? I, I, I think not at the. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead, Jess. I I was just going to say I think not at this time. I think that if you're going to sign a pitcher to a multi-year deal, you might as well wait till you know, closer to when you're ready to compete than, you know, just signing them and then having two years where the Orioles are not competitive. We're paying this pitcher a lot of money. And yeah, that, that doesn't seem to make sense in my mind. Okay. Eli. Yeah. I, I think that if you're going to sign somebody to a multi-year deal, I think that the best place that you could kind of, inject that immediate stability and such would be on the middle infield. Uh, that being said, I, I mean, I think 
part of the reason I think that is because we still aren't fully sure what we have in the way of our starting pitching in the minor leagues. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the AAA to quadruple A guys that we saw this year, we might not have as much as we thought, but there's still like a Bradish Bronovich, you know, Grayson was, you know, like he could theoretically not be the ace we thought he was. And so there's still time for some of these guys to shake out and so we can have a better evaluation. Uh, in terms of middle infield, like, you know, we do have Westberg, um, you know, Joey Ortiz showed a lot of good stuff last year. There are some prospects, but I think there is almost definitely going to, going to be space for somebody um, in free agency, regardless of, you know, best case scenario with all those middle infield prospects. Yeah, I mean that's something we're definitely going to touch on here in a little bit. The, there is a lot of there are a lot of tantalizing middle infield options. I would love to see the Orioles get an infielder of some kind in free agency this offseason. Um, that is like a bona fide, you know, major league quality type. We, you know, they got Jose Iglesias a couple years ago. They got Freddie Galvis last year. I think another guy in that vein. So I'm not so sure they need to go multi year on an infielder. Well, yeah. I'm not saying they will do that, but right. I'm saying as a long-term need, I think that's the one. Yeah, right. no, that that's that is true because yeah, shortstop's always so fickle. Like Ryan Mountcastle was drafted as a shortstop, and he's right. very far from that <laughs> at the major league <laughs> level. And yeah, I think it sounds like Westberg is probably gonna. I mean, he might be able to stick it short. Gunnar Henderson doesn't sound like he's gonna stick it short. So yeah, that that is a good point. That if the Orioles think like we don't have the guy, maybe we go throw a bunch of money at at somebody this off season. I think that, that it could be interesting. Um, yeah. I, I would still expect that to happen. Like, I don't know, next year at the earliest though. Like, it, yeah, we're, we're not, we're not like, I already said, we're not shelling out big money on any middle infielder this year. Okay. All right. That, that could be a controversial statement for a lot of like, I know people, a lot of people are going to be really sad <laughs> when the Yankees sign Carlos Correa for 250 mil, but that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, we were, we were all texting the other day, and I think I said, like, it feels almost like a guarantee that they're yeah. going to go get him because they need a shortstop. Like, Glaber Torres is not the answer, I don't think. And Correa is just so good and still so young that it's – I think it's going to be tough to pry him away from the Yankees. I think a lot of people have been making the argument that Corey Seager would fit better with them mm -hmm. just because he's – a little bit more contact oriented and he's a lefty in a very right heavy lineup, but mm, yeah, that's a good point. Semantics. Right. Well, they're going to sign, they're going to sign a shortstop for a lot of money. Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is back. In yeah. <laughs> back in Baltimore, <laughs> baby. <laughs> he's available. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's talk current state of the Orioles 40 man roster, because there has actually been a few um, moves recently that the Orioles announced is this list here. You've got Eli, all the guys they just DFA'd or that could be DFA'd. No, that I think could be okay. um, the guys, the guys that in literally yesterday and today um, the Orioles outrighted Austin wins. And then they also outrighted Pat Vileka, Thomas Eshelman and Connor Wade. Okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, that gets us yeah. to where the, the 40 man roster currently is where if you, if you exclude 60-day IL players, it's at 35. But if you include them, the roster would be totally full. Um, now, the 60-day IL does disappear, I think, after the World Series is over. But then also players with free agency. So, like, Fernando Abad will hit free agency. Matt Harvey will hit free agency. 
Um, so I think that leaves us at about two open spots on the 40 man roster. I, I think right now with the guys on the IL, we actually have 41. So I think okay. that would leave us with one open spot on the 40 man. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's tight. It's tight right now, which is, t- I mean, that's normal for the season ending. It's normal to have very few 40 man spots open, but the Orioles do have a bunch of players on there that I think are reasonable enough to say could be DFA at some point. If the Orioles wanted to make room to add some players who we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, so Eli, do you kind of want to rattle off who you think the Orioles could, could DFA and maybe why? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of looked, it's kind of a crappy thing, but you always kind of look towards bullpen arms. Um, And, you know, somebody like an Eric Hanhold, a Brooks Krisky, like Isaac Matson came up and really looked pretty terrible this year. So it, it, you know, if you try to remove a reliever prospect from your 40 man, there's probably a pretty low risk that somebody's going to try to pick him up. Um, Even like Spencer Watkins started to fade down the stretch uh, we saw Joey Crable. I thought he looked pretty good, but Tyler, you mentioned his name as somebody j- just because he's an older reliever, yeah. you know, it's like 30 years old. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that like, even, I, I don't know. I, I've been kind of back and forth on Nick Chufo. Maybe he could just be a good, like, you know, you usually keep at least three catchers on the 40 man. That's usually the number you've got two on the 26 man roster and one, backup who just kind of hangs out in the minor leagues um i i really don't have much of a book on chufo but uh removing him just because as we'll mention later like brett cumberland needs to be added to protect him uh from the rule five draft you know we have some catchers in the upper minors that people tend to like throwing to it sounds like uh maverick hanley's coming up so you know we have some kind of high level, like just fine for a backup, backup catcher to be added to the 40 man. So if we needed to clear space, I think Chufo could go too. Yeah. I, I think that, that those are all valid. And I think the, the Cribal name I, I brought up sort of for the same reason that you were mentioning some of the others, just that he is, like you said, an older, not older, but like almost 30 year old reliever. Like those guys tend to be not expendable, but easier to maybe slip through and get back to triple a or, or something like that. If you wanted to do that. Um, some other names I think could be in the conversation if they want to make room are uh, Kelvin Gutierrez could be there. We know the yeah, bat. For sure. We know the bat is not quite up to major league standards. Nice fielder, but if you're only OPSing OPS plus like 80, it's not really going to get the job done. I think Richie Martin is on the precipice a little bit just because he's had a few chances now. He's had injuries, so it's not been, you know, him at his absolute best, but you know, look, he's about to be 27 years old. This isn't like a young uh, prospect we don't know anything about. We know we can't really hit a whole lot. You know, there's there's some holes in his game that I think uh, if he was some gold glove type of defender, that'd be one thing, but I he's not quite that. Um, so I think he could I, be in a little bit of trouble there. Yeah, I think that Martin spends most of this year as a utility infielder with the Orioles, and this is like his last shot. That, that's okay. the way I'm looking at it. And well, I might not even say most of this year because there are other guys kind of knocking at the door, a la like Taryn Vavra and some guys like that, you know, who do kind of need to make their way up. Ryan Bannon, uh, it's, it's about time for them too. So this is why I was going to say I found it interesting earlier when you guys mentioned that we 
would go sign an infielder. I just feel like the infield is so packed with guys that the Orioles want to uh, figure out and kind of understand a little bit more. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just, you know, continue with the guys that they have and just see how it goes. That makes sense. But I think that's kind of taking the approach that we took with the pitching staff this year and just like, look how that worked out. I, I I don't think I, I I don't think it's quite the same thing because I think you have uh I mean you have Urias and you have Mateo and I feel comfortable that even if their production isn't great that they are passable major league major league infielders and then you have enough guys around them that you can find whether it be a second baseman or a third baseman and a utility guy and someone else probably who could play the infield, you know, when needed, you know, or on occasion. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's bad. And, and then also the, the, the risk too is a lot different, right? I mean, if you don't go into the year with enough pitchers, I mean, the whole starting staff that has so many ripple effects for the bullpen for it just can, as we just saw, it can ruin a season. I mean, worst case scenario, you're, you know, with a bad infield, you know, you're not going to help the pitchers out, which isn't good. But, you know, the biggest problem based on who our middle infielders are is we're going to have a couple voids in the lineup. And that's not, you know, something the Orioles, I don't think, feel like they can't or won't try to work around. So, Well, my thing with the infield is that while I think they have a lot of interesting uh, infield options. Like I like Urias. I like Mateo, at least what I saw from him. I'm not so sure they have an everyday major league shortstop on the roster. Like Urias did the job, but I think he's probably more comfortable at second or third Mateo. I don't think is a shortstop. Uh, Martin does not hit enough to be a major league player. Uh, Rylan Bannon's not a shortstop. Rich, uh, Jemai Jones is not a shortstop. You know, I think they, there's not a shortstop on the roster really. So my preference would be to get a shortstop of some kind. Um, and that's, you know, then you can have somebody banning somebody. I don't know. You have people at AAA too, that you can figure, you can learn about them down there. I think Urias is a starter on this team next year. I don't know if it's at second or third base, but I, I just don't think he's the everyday shortstop. I could be wrong about that. He played fine at shortstop. He just also, when he had like leg issues, Brandon Hyde put him in the lineup and be like, yeah, he can't handle shortstop, but he can handle second base. Like, I don't know. That that seems like kind of weird too. I, I know shortstop is like a farther throw. There's a little more, more balls get hit over there, all that stuff. But um, that just kind of tells me, you know, he wants to play second base or he's just more comfortable there. And so let's just have him play second base. He's earned it. He's hit enough. Let's just do that and go find a shortstop for this team. Um, sure. But yeah, so those are sort of the 40 man guy. I, the point of that exercise was just to show that like, while the, the roster is close to full, they probably can find like five or six more spots if they really want to, to, you know, make a trade or to protect some guys from the rule five draft, which we're going to get to in just a second. Um, so yeah, that's, there's, there's going to be a few spots open. There's going to be some roster turnover as there is uh, every off season. So let's talk arbitration. Um, the Orioles, these are all players that the Orioles, could offer a contract to, um, and then they have to either go to arbitration or agree to a deal with them prior to the arbitration hearing, or they can non-tender them and then they would become free agents. So this is the full list. Uh, Trey Mancini, Pedro Severino, 
Pavelica was on here, although he was just outrighted, so that's been taken care of. Uh, Anthony Santander, Paul Fry, Jorge Lopez, Tanner Scott, John Means, um, and that is it. So are there any guys on here, apart from Vileka, because we, we kind of know the story there, that you view as non-tender candidates or the most likely to be non-tender? Um, Eli, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I think that uh, Severino's name is definitely up there. He's projected, and these projections come from MLB Trade Rumors. They do a really good job if you ever want more uh, just more information on how arbitration works, more information like they give, they run numbers and give these projections every year for every player that's eligible for arbitration. Um, just a great resource, MLB Trade Rumors. But they project him to earn $3.1 million based on his track record and based on his performance last year. And, you know, like we know that Adley is knocking at the door. We know he's coming up you know, assuming service time rules stay the same under the next CBA, we know he's coming up early in the year after that service time cutoff for the full season passes by. So, you know, $3 million for a backup catcher is expensive. And that just, there's no reason for us to pay that. There's no reason to keep him around. You know, we can, there are guys like a Manny Pena and other like, you know, other catchers that will go for lower rates will be just fine behind the dish for a couple of weeks, and then we'll be happy to assume a backup role as soon as Adley comes up. So I think Severino is really the obvious one. Um, the other one that we listed here was Jorge Lopez, but, you know, we kind of talked about this with his whole bullpen experiment. We're not quite sure what we have there in terms of what he could be as a bullpenner. Uh, and, I still kind of like the thought of him in that role and he's only projected to earn a million and a half dollars. So I think that's a reasonable rate for a serviceable arm in the bullpen. I expect us to tender him that contract. Okay. Yeah. I think that, that lines up. I've got one other name I might mention, but Jesse, I'm here. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, yeah. The only other name that I uh, would possibly mention is Tanner Scott. Um, hmm. But I think uh there, there's too much upside for the Orioles to do that. I think that uh, they're going to end up keeping him. See, I was going to go Paul Fry is the other name. Um, my, my thing about Fry is that there's, again, kind of the same situation. There's too much upside. There's the potential for him to be dealt at a certain point. Um, yeah, he had some rough, uh, some rough stretches this previous year, but I, I think uh, the team control uh, – and the, the possibility for the trade chip, I think the Orioles will definitely be keeping them. Right. Now I agree with you on that. I've had, I've seen people that um, are kind of ready to cut bait on Paul Fry and maybe we're at that point, but you know, this reminds me of uh, last year, the Orioles had signed that, uh, that white Sox second baseman. I can't remember his name now. Uh, oh, geez. Sanchez, Yomer Sanchez, Yomer Sanchez. Yeah. Where they did this, where they, they tendered him, I believe, and signed him and then they cut him before the season. And then we discovered that they didn't have to pay his full salary because they cut him before opening day. Paul Fry could be that kind of a situation where offer arbitration, it's $1 million. It's not going to kill the Orioles to do that. Bring him into spring training and see if he's still got whatever was ailing him because he went down to AAA and was getting rocked down in AAA too. So Something was going on there. 
but I think Paul Fry has, has enough of a track record that you offer him the deal, bring him to Sarasota and see if he's still getting lit up or, or has lost whatever it was that made him good. If the Orioles non-tender him, that will make us not trading him at the previous deadline like that much more infuriating because <laughs> it, I mean, I don't know what the offers were, but there was something and whatever, right. you know, teams offered us was definitely more valuable than being in this situation that we're in if we actually don't non-tender him. But if we do, then I mean, what a, that would speak really badly to uh, Elias basically. Oh yeah. I mean, it's already seems like a miscalculation, but I don't know. Relievers are volatile, but the way he fell off so severely and the way it coincided with the, the, the banning of the sticky stuff, I'm wondering if there's something going on there. Eli I think Martin. it was a little bit after that. I mean, he he only fell off in the last like month and a half of the season. I don't think so. I mean, let me, let me look up his like game logs because I could have sworn it was like almost identical to when sticky stuff got. The other thing I was going to say is Paul Fry is pretty notorious for having some really bad stretches. He also started the season really badly. So, yeah, that's just kind of how he is, I think, as a reliever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. And remember, I think we talked like the very first week of the season he was really bad or something, and we were like, uh, what's going on? And then he figured it out and was good. Um, so July, June 21st, I think, was like the sticky stuff. And on June, on June 18th, he had a 1.78 ERA. Then he gave up four runs on June twenty on June nineteenth. So, and, it, well, in July the OPS against him was a three hundred one, like okay. for the full month after. Yeah, so that was a good month. Yeah, he had a good. And month. then in August it was a twelve eighty four. That's so, true. Yeah, th- there was a good delay in there. Yeah, he was bad the second half of June, then had a good July, and then was just a disaster in August. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, it could have played a factor and maybe it just made him less consistent, if nothing else. You, you know, there, there are any number of things that could have happened. But yeah, I, I agree that like given his track record, you know, he was good for a full like two and a half seasons before this year. And, you know, moderately good, a mm-hmm. definitely serviceable bullpen arm that was worth a million dollars. And he fell off really, really hard for a month. I, you, you know, that says to me, like, let the dude calm down and try to figure it out for an off season. Like there's probably something valuable in his arm. And even if it takes him, you know, a a little bit of time in the minor leagues next year to fully get himself right. And then come up, you've still got two and a half years of control over him. Yeah. And plus like these are, while MLB tread rumors does a really good job with these estimates, they are only estimates the team and the Orioles are really good at winning these these arbitration right. battles with players. I think they've only lost like two or something in the whole history of it. Um, Which is not a pat on the back. To the no. Orioles. It means they're cold and calculating <laughs> and like do anything they can. And so I, I should say the arbitration process as a whole, there's a reason that it's one of the things really like up for debate in this upcoming CBA because yeah. it severely, severely undervalues players and the team's, I mean, players go in there and they say it's the most demoralizing process because the teams come in and all they're trying to do is show why you are not actually a good player. 
and are not worth X amount of money. And they just attack you and attack you. Uh-huh. And then they're like, all right, come on, let's start the season. Yeah, so. <laughs> Famously, this caused a big rift between uh, Dylan Batanzas and the Yankees, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he, where's, what's he doing now? Oh. <laughs> it's with a mess. <laughs> yeah. Which is purgatory, essentially. For um, sure. But yeah, no, Eli makes a good point. It's not a pat on the back, but it is to say that, you know, if, some fans do get like in the owner's pocketbook and be like, oh, well, 1.5 million for Jorge Lopez. Like, that's a lot. Like, it's not your money. Just pay Jorge Lopez $1.5 million. Or <laughs> but also know that, like, if you're that type of a fan, the Orioles could potentially get, pay him $1.2 million next year. Like, these estimates are not set in stone. They're just a guess. And they're probably going to be a little bit off this year if the CBA changes this process in any meaningful way. Um, but yeah, I think we all are in agreement there. Um, non-tender Severino Valleca will be non-tendered or, or whatever that he was outrighted. So he's not going to get a contract. I don't think for next year. Um, and then yeah, tender everybody else and let's see how it goes. Um, all right, next thing, let's talk more 40 man roster stuff. Uh, there are a bunch of players that need to be added to the 40 man roster in order, in order to be protected from the rule five draft. There are multiple phases of the rule five draft, uh, the major league phase, a player has to be on your major league 40 man roster in order to be protected. And then that player if selected has to stay on your major league 26 man roster for the entire season. There's also the minor league phase, which to be protected from that, you have to be on a team's triple a roster. And then you have to, um, they just basically have to keep you the next season. You don't have to really stay on any certain roster the following year, but yeah, that all in mind, the Orioles have a bunch of players that need to be protected. Uh, the most noteworthy one is D.L. Hall. But some other guys that you may be familiar with are Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, uh, Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock, former first-round pick, um, Taryn Vavra, one of the guys the Orioles got from the Rockies. Brett Cumberland is one of the players they got in the uh, Kevin Gossman trade. And then Robert Newstrom uh, was a draft pick a couple of years ago. Um are there any players in particular that you think the Orioles need to really protect from the rule five draft? Um, Eli, it looks like you've highlighted a few players here. Yeah, I highlighted a couple. I think that, um, I mean, uh, of the guys you listed, obviously DL Hall will get taken. Um, I think British had enough of a breakout to the point where he would be taken. He, you know, did get some triple A experience. Uh, Kevin Smith is kind of borderline just because, you know, he's not uh, usually in the rule five draft, people are looking for stuff and Kevin Smith is not that, um, you know, usually you're looking for a Tyler Wells who throws you know 98 miles an hour when he needs to. And you kind of decide that you can work with it if you can just get him through this season. Um, yeah. And like Kevin Smith being such a soft thrower, I don't really see him being that much of a risk. Um, I think that Robert Newstrom uh, actually could get some looks. He definitely kind of had a breakout in terms of power this year. He like famously hit the like 470 some foot home run this year. Uh, And, you know, he's definitely got some pop. Uh, Vavra, I think definitely needs to be protected. Uh, We got him in one of the Rockies trades, I think the Givens trade. Um, And so, you know, like we definitely do have some guys that I think would be 
at least getting looks, you know, it's, there's always some unpredictability. People put out lists of the top rule five draft prospects and every single year, the top one has like a 50% chance of actually getting taken in that draft. You know, there's always some hit or miss as to way as to the way the teams are actually evaluating these guys. But, you know, just by the way that the Orioles have handled them, I think the guys that you mentioned uh, at definitely are at least valued by the Orioles to the extent that they would want to add them to the 40 man roster. Yeah. And it should be noted that uh, Brett Cumberland was rule five eligible last year and did not get picked. Gray Venter was Rule 5 eligible last year, did get picked, then got returned. Um, uh, who was the guy? Zach Pop got picked by – I forget who picked him, but then they traded him to the Marlins. Marlins. Well, yeah, somebody, oh, somebody right. picked him yeah, and then yeah. traded him. Yeah, I can't remember who picked him originally. I think it was the Diamondbacks. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Cody Sedlock, I think, was eligible last year, did not get picked. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Jess, do you have any, any guys in particular you really want the Orioles to, to save a spot on the 40-man for? I mean, of course, Hall, but I was going to also say Vavra. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that there's um, I, I think there would be a good likely uh, a decent enough chance that he would get selected. And I, I think the Orioles should be able to find room uh, on the roster for him. So definitely. Yeah, I wanted to point out four other names that need to be protected. Um, uh, they are four guys that are currently on the uh, they're in the Arizona Fall League right now. So I think it kind of shows you the Orioles want to take a look at them a little bit. It's uh, Nick Vespi, Logan Gillespie, Cameron Bishop, and Connor Loprick. So now, you know, there's multiple ways to look at this. None of these guys are like highly sought after. Um, they're pitchers, they're, you know, relief pitcher types that I think the Orioles, either they want to get a better look at or they want to maybe feature them for other teams that could be interested in adding them to their 40-man roster. Um but they're names that you probably aren't super familiar with, but these are the types of names that I think like Eli was just talking about that like could be good picks for a team that like need a bullpen arm. You know, these could be the guys that are like the max scroller of this year who did not go well clearly, but the Orioles picked him because he had a particular pitch or whatever that they found interesting and they thought they could work with it and make him into something a little bit more than he seemed to be with the Reds. Didn't work out, but these are guys that you could potentially see maybe available if the Orioles do not uh, protect them. And then another name I wanted to mention was Ignacio Feliz. So this guy only pitched at high a Aberdeen this year. Uh, he also pitched with Delmarva, I think, and he was like ridiculously good for Delmarva had a yeah. 1.05 ERA over 43 innings, got lit up a little bit at Aberdeen when he jumped up over uh, nine games. But this is a guy, the Orioles selected in the minor leagues phase of the rule five draft last year. So again, they would have to protect him by putting him on Norfolk's roster. Um, so that's another one that you may see him get plucked because he's an interesting enough arm, has some deception to his game. And I could see another team taking him if the Orioles don't uh, decide to protect him. But yeah, I think I agree with all the names you guys mentioned. Um, Adam Hall is one that I'm, I'm kind of intrigued on because he's a guy that's ranked really high in a lot of like, I think Keith Law really likes Adam Hall. He kind of had a tough season this year. Uh, he's kind of an interesting story. Like he's a Canadian guy who his parents like purposely moved him so that he could play like full season baseball. And then I think last year, the year before his, his father like had cancer and passed away. Right. And it's like a lot of stuff there. Um, but he's a guy that's got a lot of tools, very fast. I think a lot of people, were, were, you know, view him as like the fastest guy in the Orioles minor league system, but had a tough year. Um, 
I don't know. What do you guys think about Adam Hall? Or do you know anything about Adam Hall to really have like an opinion on what the Orioles should do there? Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely the kind of, I I don't know. I I think he didn't hit enough to be at risk. And that's kind of always been the question mark around him. Um, and, And so like, I think he's, I think you're probably still safe if you leave him off, but I also think that um, he's somebody you want to keep in the system, particularly, you know, he is an infielder and does have kind of those baseline tools like the speed, like the glove that can't really be taken away from you, you know, so he has a good baseline of overall value as a result of that. Um, But like you said, I, you know, I think he's had, or I, I know he had a pretty tough year. And so I don't necessarily see him as a risk for being taken. Uh, But at the same time, I I think he's a valuable dude that you want in the system because, you know, I, I I think there's a solid chance that he turns into a utility, like, you know, more back, back end, like platoon or utility guy off the bench, but there's a chance for him to become something. Yeah, I, I just think the downside to adding them to Norfolk is not great enough uh, as to why you wouldn't do it. So, uh-huh. hmm? you're just saying to protect him from the minor league phase of it, right? Yeah. Oh, well, well. yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's value. That's valid too. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll it, yeah, I, I I I definitely can see him going up to Norfolk, but I, I do think it would start to get a bit crowded there because I think that. Uh, I think West, yeah, I, I think Westberg might start the season there next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But it, it might start to get a little bit crowded. I know yeah. Joey Ortiz, assuming he comes back healthy, he'll probably start in Bowie, but might be knocking on the door of AAA as well. Yeah. And Caden Grenier is another one that moved up to Norfolk at the very end of right. the year. He's uh, He was like a high draft pick of Duquette. Uh, has really struggled offensively, but is kind of viewed as like a really good fielder in the middle infield, which is nice to have in the high minors, but he's got to hit better than he has to this point, which is not a lot. He's got a career 696 career OPS in the minors, which is tough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, the big ones, they'll protect Dio Hall, Kyle Bradish. I think Kevin Smith gets protected and uh, Taryn Vavra and Brett Cumberland. Beyond that, I think it gets a little bit gray. Plus, the Orioles like to pick a guy in the Rule 5 draft, so you can't right. have an absolutely full 40-man going into it. Um, so I think like if they protect like five guys, I think that's about the max. We'll see if they go beyond that. Um, all right, let's talk trading block. Jesse alluded to some of this a little earlier, so I'm, I'm interested to hear what his hot take is on a potential trade ship. But the Orioles trading block, you know, I don't think anybody's really – protected here uh save for maybe ryan mountcastle and cedric mullins i think just about anybody else could be available uh some of the big names would be anthony santander john means i think pedro severino they could maybe try to move if if another team was would be interested there at three million dollars although i think that could be uh, a tough sell and then dj stewart um is another one that i think the orioles need to make a move on one of the corner outfielders but jess i'm gonna i'm gonna throw it to you because you have a an opinion here on, on a move they could potentially make. Um, well, yeah, I mean, as far as the Severino, I don't think it's as outlandish as maybe, you know, you might think not that you think it's outlandish, but 
you know, just I would say I would just point to his track record as to why a team might be willing to do something like that. Um, but I think the the big one here for me, uh, I definitely don't see Means or Santander going, but I could see DJ Stewart getting dealt. I could see another team being like, you know, we like that this guy hits. Yes, he doesn't play defense. Yes, he or uh you know yes there's a, a lot of downsides uh and a lot of holes in his game he's definitely not a five tool player but this is a guy that we think can hit um and uh you know if we just give him a different approach at the plate you know we have him uh you know have this mentality when he gets up there he can perform and we could turn him into a, a pretty good hitter um, so I could see a deal and I don't think the Orioles asking price for him is going to be enormous. I, I don't know why it would be. Um, so I could see someone like DJ Stewart getting dealt this off season. Okay. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I, and what I would also say is like, we should be prepared that if, if he does get traded, the return for him is going to be very little. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a blockbuster deal. No. No. Uh, Eli, do you think like a DJ Stewart deal could make some sense? Uh, I think it makes sense for us. I don't think it makes sense for any other team. I, I think <laughs> that uh, in all seriousness, I think that DJ Stewart is one of the guys who gets cut loose this off season. I think that the Orioles just haven't seen enough. And I think we've got like, you know, Kyle Stowers is knocking on the door. We just talked about Robert Newstrom. Like there are too many outfield prospects and DJ Stewart, and, and like we've talked about the Mountcastle and Mancini first base DH situation. Um, so, you know, like you can't really get DJ Stewart that many at bats at DH. You have Yusniel Diaz who needs to come up as well. He needs to get a shot. Like, I, I, I think there's just no space and DJ Stewart is like not going to get tendered a contract by the Orioles. And wow. so, yeah, I, I yeah. I think he's a non-tender and I think that other teams recognize that. I, I mean, like we couldn't trade him until we tendered him a contract anyways, technically, but right. I, I don't think that teams, uh, well, I, yeah, I guess then I don't think it'll ever get that far to the point where we could trade him. I think he'll be non-tendered. And as a result, I think some team will pick him up and they'll try to use him as a, you know, use him in the ways that we would have loved to have used him, but we just don't have space or time to be messing around with it and, and like waiting for him anymore. Interesting. See, so they're going to non-tender, even though I think they just would have to offer him like the minimum, right? Cause he's not arbitration eligible yet. Right. Yeah. He's had two, wow. he's like just over two years of service time. And so they would not need to, yeah, it, it's not arbitration. It would be like the league minimum or, I think there's some rule. It has to be like 80% at least yeah. of their salary from the previous year. But um, yeah, I, I just can't see it. Like, I, I think that, I think the Orioles are too busy and like we were talking about the infield getting crowded. So maybe a Mateo and a Jemai Jones start getting some corner outfield at bats. Mm -hmm. You know, th there are, th there, there's just too much happening for us to be playing around with DJ Stewart anymore hmm. in my mind. Okay. I mean, what sticks in my head is just like how often, like, I don't know. He seems like one of Brandon Hyde's guys. Like he likes, he'll put him at the cleanup <laughs> spot some, some weeks, like every single day. Not that that makes a whole lot of sense. And yes, he cannot field, but I just don't know if they're ready to like 
give up on him. I think they might be able to talk themselves into a trade that makes sense for the team to get, you know, some sort of bullpen arm. I think maybe you could, I could see a team being like, Hey, we'll take DJ Stewart. If you take like this mediocre relief pitcher that we don't want anymore. Like I could see some kind of a deal like that. Um, Cause I do think a trade could make sense, but yeah, I just think they, they seem to like his power potential too much and his like three true outcomes sort of profile a lot um, that I don't know if they're just going to drop him, but you know, whatever happens, I mean, it's yeah, probably not he, the biggest deal. Yeah. He's been here in like parts of three seasons now, I think. So yeah. I, I, I'm just kind of like, how, how long are we going to wait for this to happen? You right. know, we've seen some good stuff, but we've also seen so much, so much bad stuff that, like, like, I, I mean, I could see, I could see it being a situation where the Orioles tender him, and then, like, immediately start trying to dish him out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think it's possible that that happens, but I don't see a situation where the Orioles break camp with DJ with DJ Stewart. Yeah. What like what's his role on the major league team going to be? Like, possibly? right? I mean, he he barely had a role this year. Well, but what I would say, though, is that, you know, you're talking about trading him. Every team is going to have the DH next year. Like, that's not official, but it is official. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, like, the NL, there's about to be 15 more DH jobs. And I think that helps the market for him, you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. right. It does. That's true. Um, And and one name, so kind of unrelated to DJ Stewart, but a name we haven't really talked about in the trade wins yet is, is Trey Mancini. I mean... We talked about how there could be an extension going on there. I know we're all not super into that. I think like it wouldn't be the worst thing of all. We have to see the dollars and cents and all that stuff. But, you know, just as likely, I think, could be a trade for Trey Mancini. I think um, it's more likely. Okay. So I you, think it's more I think it's more likely this offseason. Do you think he will get traded this offseason? No. But I think it's more <laughs> likely. <laughs> but I think it's more likely than him getting extended this offseason. Yeah. Yeah. The extension thing is tough for me to believe. Like, I love Trey. I think he's a, a great guy. And I, I would be like, it'd be awesome to have him in an Orioles uniform long term. But I just don't think that I see that he's like a Mike Elias type to keep around long term. Yeah. And I, the obstacle for me to a trade is that Trey Mancini had a 104 OPS plus this past season. And for a first base and a DH type, that is, that that just doesn't cut it. Right. Um, And and like, you know, overall, I think Trey Mancini is a good player. And I think chances are next year is better, you know, after having a full year, getting back in the swing of things, you know, like I'm sure like there is a 0% chance this isn't true in my mind. I'm sure that like his body wore down, you know, as the season went on, we saw it, there was, you know, his little injury at the end of the year that he didn't want to go in the IL for like, I I don't think that there's any way that next year isn't better for him. I I think that he's going to be a better player next year than he was this year, but I don't think there's any team that's going to give up anything substantial for somebody coming off of, like a season as a first base in DH where you were only 4% better than the league average hitter. And I think that as a result of that, like the Orioles cannot trade Trey Mancini for like a bag of balls, you, you know, that like they have to get something significant in return for him. The fans order. would be mad. Right. The fans would we traded him for goals. nothing. And right. yeah, so I can't see Michael Elias doing that. 
Right. And as a result, I can't see a Trey Mancini trade coming together because he means more to the Orioles than he would to any other team on like in the MLB. Right. No, that makes sense. The, the other thing I was going to say is, and I definitely agree with what you're saying here, but similar to the DJ universe, the similar to the DJ Stewart conversation, the universal DH is applicable for uh, Mancini's trade market. So that might have some influence too. That's true. Right. And I think, I think this is one of those situations where you could say like, all right, Trey's coming off of a season in which he didn't hit great, but he could come back next year stronger. I think you could make him the DH more often than you did this year, even where man, where Mountcastle was kind of working in there and you could see him have an OPS plus of like one fifteen, And then you go, all right, here's your rent a bat. Like any team in the league, Trey Mancini is going to upgrade your team because he can play first base. He can be your DH. Give us some, one of your top 15 prospects. I think that's totally realistic. Whereas right now, I don't know how realistic that is. Um, yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And then you can kind of send him out in a little bit better, grander way, I guess, you know, like he's on top of his game. We're sending him to a competitor to go win a world series. Like love you, Trey. Yeah. Good luck everybody uh it's kind of better for all parties involved yeah yeah all right well i think that's the that's the trading i mean is there any other any other potential trades we're seeing you know anthony santander i think i agree with you jesse i don't think he's getting traded um pedro severino i i kind of said my piece there dj stewart we talked about that john means any i, any? I think it's nah. i think it's selling low on Means. so i, agree. I don't think that's gonna happen and the Orioles need pitching like, you know, obviously yeah. you want you want to make something on that. But like we need a pitcher that can get out major league hitters. And I, he's about the only one we've got right now. Yeah. His projected arbitration salary is just three million dollars right. Like for a major league caliber arm. That's dirt cheap. So the Orioles will be more than happy to pay him that. Yeah, I agree. And, then and, and keep him. Yeah. I was going to say the question is the trade, though. No, I said yeah. and keep him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I think Means sticks around. Um, he's another one that if some if he lights it up the beginning of next year, I think the deadline he starts to get some heat on him. But we'll see. Um, and then any of the bullpen arms? Do you think like any of those guys? We talked. Eli kind of talked about Cole Salser earlier in the episode. Yeah, I I think Salser is an interesting question because. You know, theoretically for the Orioles, if you're going to be competing and like competing hard in two or three years, then, you know, like the 30-31 that Solskjaer is now becomes a 32-33 mm-hmm. or maybe even 34. And so then, you know, there might be a substantial drop off in how well he's performing. And, you know, we talk about the volatility of relievers all the time. So, you know, there's no assurances one way or another, but like as a dude who just is older and is contributing at a high level right now, I think he does make sense as a trade candidate. And I mean, yeah, there, I I think there are four years of control over him. So some team might take a gamble, assuming he'll maintain that for the last two years. And if not, you non-tender him and you don't need to pay him. I mean, it's like, yeah, these guys who are pre free agency are the greatest thing for teams because they can just, you know, they have a, they have a, club option every single year they could just say no we're not going to pay you next year and that's it you know like the guy goes away but if you want to keep him you get him at these discounted salaries as a result of the arbitration process and the pre-arb process 
So like Sulcer, you know, some team will take a gamble, assuming he's going to be really good next year, getting paid about the league minimum. And then the year after that, then he'll hit arbitration, might make a million dollars, will probably still be really good. And then the next two years, like, I mean, even that year, if you don't want to pay him, you don't have to pay him. So he's a super valuable guy, I think, as far as relievers go. I agree with you, Eli. I was just going to – Tanner Scott is also on my radar. Most of the time, you know, we've had this conversation before bullpen arms get moved kind of at, you know, toward the middle of the year just because, um, you know, you don't – teams don't know how their bullpen is going to shake out. And, um, you know, uh, so we're not going to pay a lot for a reliever. However, in this situation for Tanner Scott, I could see a team being like, okay, uh, the Orioles asking price on him, I think, will not be that large. And I could see a team being like, OK, his market to me makes sense more in the offseason just because I think it makes sense for a team to be like, look, this guy has great stuff. He throws 100 miles an hour. Give us an offseason. Give us training camp. Give us, you know, spring training to work with him. Let's get our staff on top of him and you know, let's give them like enough time and a few weeks to really tamper and mess with stuff to see if we can figure this guy out Um, at the deadline. Right. You're getting a guy to go win. Right. But there are plenty of teams where I feel like, you know, they're going to be like, we could use this extra lefty in our bullpen. We can, you know, basically rely on him to be a presence in uh, our bullpen, you know, for the vast majority of the year. And hopefully, uh, you know, we're going to use our pitching staff and our and our coaches and we're going to turn this guy hopefully into something really good. And worst case scenario, we can just cut ties with him or, you know, figure something. Yeah, out. but I think then the Orioles kind of say the exact same thing about him. And, you know, the Orioles trading him as a reclamation project, they're going to get almost nothing back for him versus right. them just keeping him and being like, well, maybe this is our meal ticket right here. Like turn this guy that can throw hundred miles an hour into an elite reliever. Yeah. Except except the Orioles have had a chance to do that and they haven't. Whereas another team has not had that opportunity yet. But, but then you're still selling low and like, you know, Tanner Scott in his current form might be more valuable than what you get back. And Tanner Scott in his current form is still a major league reliever on this team. Like the Orioles, he's in the bullpen next year. Definitely. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't see that happening. But, you know, again, we just you just talked about it. He could be a guy on the move in the middle of the year, but I don't see it happening in the offseason while the Orioles are trying to assemble a bullpen. Um, he's one of, like, the pieces that you know is going to be there. So it's tough to, like, take that now, whereas I think once you get into the season, it might be a little bit easier. Um, all right, the Orioles do have a few free agents of their own. Uh, Matt Harvey, Fernando Abad, and then also two guys that have already been kind of they're already free agents is Adam Plutko and Cesar Valdez. Uh, any chance the Orioles bring any of those guys back? Nope. Matt Harvey. Wow. Okay. I could see Matt Harvey. Yeah. Really? I actually, I think we talked about this before, yeah. but I could definitely yeah. see the Orioles, you know, an invite to spring training. You know, I could see that. Oh, right. This was when Tyler asked if Matt Harvey was the new Wade LeBlanc. Yeah. that's what yeah, it was. i think so <laughs> just yeah. bring him back here. <laughs> no i think I, I could definitely see him being that yeah yeah i mean i'm not sure what other team he's gonna go to right now and 
start on. I'm not sure he's going to start on the 2022 Orioles either. I, I would hope they get to a point that they don't think that's going to happen, but I could see him getting like a minor league deal with a $1 million uh, salary or whatever. If he comes back just like he did this year and say, Hey Matt, like we need the innings, dude. Like you want to come and give it a go and sure. Let's try it out. <laughs> um, but as far as the other three, probably not. Um, Plutko was amazing early in the year and then completely fell apart. And Cesar Valdez, they just, he's got one pitch and it got figured out, you know? So I, I don't think they bring any of those other three back. I agree. I, I think there's like less than a 0.03% chance that any of those guys comes back. You're leaving yourself I, a little wiggle room. Yeah. I, I was going to say. Because Cesar Valdez might come back on a minor league deal. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, and I I could even see Plutko too. Like that's not beyond the realm of possibility mm. in my mind. I don't yeah. think so. I mean, it, you know, it's possible. Of course it's possible. What, what, I, I, think, I, I guess I, I just don't see why not. You know, it's going to be a very cheap investment. It's going to be you know, virtually no skin off the Orioles back. And it's another guy to be in the mix, you know? Right. But, but the Orioles, I mean, the Orioles have all the guys that we had last year, plus some new ones coming up. Like the Bradishes, the Bronoviches, the Kevin Smiths, like uh, all these AAA pitchers last year. And like Mike Bauman's going to be around all year. He was not here when Adam Pletko was pitching. I think all of these guys are, are going to need innings in ways that, you know, they didn't with like when Adam Plutko was on the team. And so we have more and more people. And I think that Plutko showed enough this year that he would not be willing to take um, a fully minor league deal, which I think is the only, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he'll take a non-guaranteed deal. Hmm. I think he'll sign on for cheap with a team that like is happy to stash him as a long man or a bullpen guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this past year was like the worst year of his career. He he's right. been like a steady guy with Cleveland, so he'll he'll get a deal somewhere. I don't know if it's right. going to be guaranteed though. I have I have some okay. doubts That's about fair. that. I, I, he just doesn't feel like the right fit for the Orioles. Like at this point in his career, you know, he's trying to lock onto something more solid, and the mm-hmm. Orioles, I think, won't have as many innings for him next year as they did this yeah. year. Yeah, I think that's valid. All right, well, let's talk about free agents they might get or. Theoretically, although we don't, none of us think they're going to really spend a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> we talked about shortstop a little bit like that as a need for the Orioles long term. There is a very healthy, bountiful class of free agent shortstops uh, this winter. And I can just kind of read off some of the big names. It's Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Javi Baez. And then there's a bit of a drop-off. And then we got Jose Iglesias, Freddie Galvis, Angelton Simmons, and Andrew oh. Romine. Hey, don't, don't forget Simeon. Marcus Simeon. Yeah. yeah Marcus right. Simeon. I'm, on here, he's listed as a second baseman, I believe. So that's why oh, I missed right. him. He, he played second base for the Blue Jays. Yeah, Boba Shett was a short, yeah. yeah. But he played short the previous yeah, two years. Shortstop. Oh, for sure. Right. No, I, I think he can play shortstop again. I'm just saying this this MLB.com had him listed as a second baseman. So yeah, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we got going on at shortstop. Uh, a lot of people online are very excited about Carlos Correa and his, you know, tenuous connection to Mike Elias. So what do we think? What's Are the Orioles going to sign one of these big-name shortstops? 
Jesse? <laughs> uh, look, here's here's what I'll say. Uh, no. But wow. what I, I, I <laughs> here's what I'll say. Uh, no. <laughs> I, All right. What, that's the end of the podcast, folks. <laughs> no, what, what I think, I think the Orioles might publicly kind of pretend to be interested in Carlos Correa to get the fans excited and stuff. They might be in the mix. They might offer him. They might even offer him a contract. I will say that. Mm, wow. But, no, but, no. but listen to what I'm saying. But <laughs> if they were to offer him a contract, it wouldn't be anywhere near the, the asking price that he is asking for. It wouldn't be a realistic offer. Right. So uh, I, I think. Then why that, off, what? You know. I think the Orioles might try to show their fan base that we want, you know, we're interested in him. Just a publicity stunt. Correct. Yeah. But I think that that's dicey. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) no, but I, I, I think there's no realistic chance that Carlos Correa ends up with the Orioles at all. No, I, Carlos Correa is like, I, I don't know his performance in this postseason and throughout the course of the year, he finally like put together over 600 at bats. He he's going to make himself probably $300 million. Right. The Orioles are not even like pretending to even for a publicity stunt. There's just no way. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I know what you're saying. And I, and I can see a car. I can see a Ken Rosenthal tweet coming where they say like Orioles are kicking the tires on Carlos free agent shortstop, Carlos Correa. Like I can see that. Right. Tweet coming. Right. They're doing their due diligence on free agent shortstop, Carlos Correa. Right. Exactly. The, the thing is like the, the thing you really got to think about though, is these cheap Orioles, you know, would never, ever pay the amount of money that is required to get Carlos oh, Correa. Right. Revving I, I mean, revving people up. That's, I mean, that's at least what I think. Like, you're going to, I mean, let alone how much you would have to overpay him to have him come to Baltimore, right? I mean, this is a guy that has massive postseason experience who is trying to win the World Series. Um, you know, you would have to pay him so much more to come to the Orioles, I think, um, than mm-hmm. what his value is. That's what we, I think. But we, but we could be talking about a player that has two World Series rings by the time free agency hits, and you're offering him, like, hey, you come here and you, like, are building something. You know, I'm not saying – I don't think you got to – what I'm saying is not that it's likely he comes, but I don't think you've got to give him, like, some bonus to come to Baltimore versus somewhere else. Like – I think he's going to go wherever the most money is regardless. And if that's New York, he's going to go to New York. If that's Houston, he's going to go back to Houston. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, well, the Orioles have to offer me another 10 mil for me to go to Baltimore. Like, no, I think it's straight up. You got to offer me the most money, but it's not mm-hmm. because you're Baltimore. It's because I want the most money. No, I, I think you would probably go for. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But if we offer him the same contract that the Los Angeles Dodgers do, Right, he's like, going. To he's, he's not coming with the Orioles. We do right. have to offer him the most money. I think even if we offer him, yeah. Even if we offer him, you know, uh, you know, if we offer him more than like a million dollars more than L.A., he's probably going to go to L.A. You know, like. But the players' association also gets involved in those things, and they don't like it when players go somewhere that offered them yeah. less money. That's true. They want them to maximize their deals. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 
But so, so like, you know, Correa aside, are there any of these like big name shortstops that the Orioles could like realistically get involved with? Like there's only so many to go around. And, you know, there are other teams that have good shortstops already that are probably not going to be involved. The Mets have Lindor. The, the Dodgers have Trey Turner, who's probably going to go back to shortstop if Seager doesn't come back, which seems likely. You know, well, Trey Turner is a free agent. No, Trey Turner is a free Isn't agent he? next year. Oh, that's my bad. You're right. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. The, I guess the thing I feel like is that uh, out of out of all the shortstops that are available, um, like these are all veterans. Um, so I mean, they're all veterans. So well, that's typically what's these... available in free agency, Jesse. Yeah, but I'm saying, but none of these guys, none of these guys are gonna like make sense for the long term, right? So any of these guys would oh, be stuck. I mean, Correa is so... like 27. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So no. I mean, so, so he'll I'm be sorry. A very I meant good to say for... other. I meant to say other than Correa. Yeah. No, a, a bunch of these guys are young. Corey Seager's twenty-seven. Uh, like, I mean, Trevor Story's only twenty-nine. Yeah. Javi's only yeah. twenty-nine. Yeah. Javi's twenty-nine. I'm like, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Nobody, nobody out of our price range. I mean, look. Yeah, in is, a perfect okay. world, the Orioles could yeah. go get a twenty-two-year-old who's right. going to be a stud. But that's just that doesn't happen all the time. I think that's why this is the, the Yankees haven't been able to find a shortstop since Derek Cheater left. Like D.D. Gregorius was decent, but like Glaber Torres is a good hitter, but he's not a good fielder. Like, you know, that it's hard to find the guy at shortstop for a long time, you know. Sure. And he's it, had the guy. Yeah. I think that if we sign a shortstop, I think it's highly, highly likely that it is either Freddie Galvis or Jose Iglesias again. I'm like not yeah. even kidding. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think it, like both of them are in our price range. Iglesias, like, I don't know. Iglesias didn't hit well this year. You know, he didn't hit the like 375 that he hit in 2020. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like, what about you Simmons? Uh, and John Simmons, like, yeah. No. I mean, he, he's fine too. I, yeah. One of these guys who's a glove first and just kind of will you know, be a stabilizing force as we're like swapping out all these infielders that we've been talking about. Simmons, his bat has like really fallen. And I, I know you're going for a glove, but like, Jesus, his, he can't hit Hmm. anymore. Yeah. (laughs) To me personally, like I, that's why I kind of look at, I think we should, you know, you kind of talk about where you're going to stabilize and where you're going to let people rotate around. And I think that we should, stabilize third base just because third base was such a terrible spot for us this year and is more of an offensive position. And that's what I think we need. I think we need like the lineup stabilization more than we need the infield stabilization that a shortstop would provide. So I, so, yeah, I'm more, I'm more personally like look at a third baseman and try to sign someone there. Oh, so Chris Bryant. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely Chris Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh it's it's gonna be tough I, I don't know yeah i think the orioles getting a big time or even like a relevant not relevant relevance not fair but like a big time everyday player is probably not gonna happen via via free agency right yeah no that's right all right but pitching though we do think they're gonna get some pitchers and eli you've previously mentioned martin perez 
but then you you realize he's got what a club option is that right yeah it's a club option but it is like a six million dollar club option which seems Mm -hmm. honestly kind of high for him Mm -hmm. so you know they might cut him loose and i'm okay with that and okay like my prediction stays a possibility but uh in the contingency that martin perez's option is picked up I would like to switch my prediction to a Jordan Lyles who had okay. a 515 ERA this year, but through 180 innings. And that's the kind of guy I think the Orioles are in the market for. Okay. That sounds possible. And you think they would just get one guy like that? Or you think they'd try to get like two? Um, I think one guy that throws that many innings. Yeah. Maybe one and a Harvey. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe something like that. Like one and a non-guaranteed minor league deal that we'll see how it works out. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at someone like Michael Waka. Um, He Mm -hmm. threw 124 innings last year. Um, With the Rays, right? Yeah, exactly. He's had some injury issues, you know, before that. But um, earlier in his career, he threw 181 and 165 innings. So... Yeah. I mean, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. But um, yeah, I would, I like Michael Walker. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking at the names you guys are are spitting out. Jordan Lyles had a negative 0.2 B war last year. Uh, Michael Walker had a negative 0.7 B war last year. I'm looking at Zach Davies, who had a negative 0.9 B war last year. Um, Although, again, (laughs) he threw 148 innings. So, kind of in the same vein. And the Orioles drafted um, Zach Davies, although it was a decade ago. So I doubt they have too much of a book on him anymore. But I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. Like they need a guy that's going to be cheap, maybe looking to, you know, figure some stuff out for one year while also being given an opportunity to do so. Um, And, you know, you're not really going to be able to do that on a good team with a lot of pitching. So the Orioles are a good landing spot for a guy that has a track record, but maybe struggled recently and is looking for a one-year stop to, you know, add some value back to his name. Um, yeah, right. And there are a lot of other guys like that, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, Ivan Nova is someone I was looking at, uh, Julio Teheran. Uh, but the thing about them is, you know, they did not throw much innings last year at all. So, uh, you know, it's kind of more a situation where it's like an invite to spring training type. Type. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whereas, wa- whereas Waka would probably be like a guaranteed one year, two year deal or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as the reclamation, I like the Aaron Sanchez thing. I don't know if we said that on the pod, but Eli mentioned it, I think, yeah. before we recorded. I think that's another interesting one where he's always had really good stuff, but kind of has fallen on tar- hard times. Andrew Heaney might be something kind of similar. He got rocked after he went to the Yankees, but <laughs> had always been like kind of a solid pitcher with the Angels, and he's lefty. Um, I just want to. I just want to say, like, seeing Yankees fans freak out about the fact that Andrew Haney was still starting for them, it just made me so happy. Yeah, and he was just unbelievably bad for them. Yeah, absolutely atrocious. But that's kind of the vein of the the type of player the Orioles are, are probably going to go sign this offseason. So don't get too don't don't get too excited. And let me just say, that's if we're lucky, right? <laughs> that's if things go really really well, we're going to go get a Jordan Lyles. I don't think uh, that's accurate to say really, really well to get a Jordan Lyles. Yeah, because oh. the or the other option is the Orioles just do nothing and and you know sign Hunter Harvey or um, 
Matt, Matt Harvey. Harvey. Yeah. yeah. And the Orioles just signed them and try to do the same thing we did this past year, yeah. which that's entirely possible. I think the, uh, the, the most hope Oriole fans can have for, you know, free agent signings for starting pitchers this year is a Jordan Lyles. That would be in an almost dream scenario. I'm serious. You're laughing, but I'm, I'm serious. I, I just, th- I don't think that should be a dream. I think that's like the, the baseline, like the Orioles need to get reinforcements in the rotation and that's fine. That should be the expectation. Not necessarily like a dream scenario, but I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the expectation has always been like just, well, the expectation has always just fallen on the floor the last right. couple of years. So we have been Jess, Jesse's given the realistic right. expectation. <laughs> right. right. We would love if the Orioles did this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we kind of covered all our bases on what we expect the Orioles to do this offseason. Is there anything else we need to talk about with the folks? I don't think so. All right, cool. Uh, uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the postseason, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I definitely am going to be looking into is if MLB.com ever figures it out and puts Cedric Mullins jerseys on the store. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how it's possible. You, you said, Tyler, you actually said this. You said they, like, predict, you know, they try to predict who the yeah. jerseys are going to be and they just stock up for the season. They're always, like, a year behind. Like, I, you know, I used to okay. work at, at a Target and I used to work at a Dick Sporting Goods, and it's always, like, they'll have a player that was good the previous year. Like, I think, I, and I shopped at Target this year, and they had, like, Hanser Alberto jerseys early in the oh, year. Oh, my God. And not jerseys, but, like, T-shirt jersey things. And it's so, yeah. that, like, they kind of do that. I noticed the, that the Ravens jerseys right now at Target are like J.K. Dobbins. So, again, he's, he's, he's good, but he's been hurt and he's going to be out all year. So, like, they kind right. of do that where they sort of pre- predict stuff. So, I don't know if that is directly applicable to MLB.com itself. You would think they would be able to turn stuff around faster than, like, a retailer is, but apparently not. Yeah, it's crazy. But you'll have them next year. So, yeah, well, I will get one next year. Also, he got married. Did you see that? Cedric I did. Mullins got married. That huge, was nice. huge shout out to Cedric Mullins. I know he listens. Happy for him. Yeah. He's a big warehouse pod guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> but all right, yeah, I mean, so as far as the offseason goes with the podcast, we will record like when it's appropriate to do so, but this would get really dry to do every single week with very little Orioles news. Um, so if anything big happens, we'll record. What, Eli? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm already out of material, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if something big happens, we'll definitely record. Um, we But usually what we try to do is like save up a couple good things, like a rule five draft, like an interesting trade, something else. And then we'll do a pod, like a quicker 30, 45 minute pod on that type of stuff. But um, if anything major happens, we will uh, get together and, and record. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But uh, yeah, that is about it. I would say uh, if you can, please support the podcast by subscribing and rating it on your various podcast applications and services. We appreciate that. We're also on YouTube. You can go over there and subscribe to us there. We just put the the same audio version on there. And hopefully next year, uh, we're going to try and sort out some video stuff so you can see our faces on every episode. Um, Uh, That might actually decrease the quality of the overall pod. Well, that's what we're incorporating the faces. That's right. We'll find the true fans. We'll we'll reduce the (laughs) fan base down to the people that really, really love us. and then, yeah, follow us on all the social media at The Warehouse Pod and email the podcast, warehousepod at gmail.com. Uh, Eli, where are people finding you on the internet? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg, and obviously I tweet out all sorts of fun stuff from at the Warehouse Pod. Nice, and uh, along with my other co-hosts. <laughs> yes, I'm on. <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Juggernaut eight six seven eight. Nice. I am on. Uh, I'm on. Uh, ugh, why did I say that twice? I'm on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at underscore Ty Young, and you can head over to CamdenChat.com to check out some blogs throughout the winter to warm your cold, dead Oriole loving heart. Uh, that is about it that Um, got really dark tyler (laughs) yeah that's how that was dark that is how we do it but all right guys uh that's all we got uh until next time this has been the warehouse podcast i'm tyler i'm jesse and i'm eli